Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of Jimmy E Pod. I'm David. And I'm Justin. And we are here to explore, if you didn't listen to our preview episode, every Jimmy Eat World song uh, one episode at a time in no particular order other than the one that he and I painstakingly laid out on a Google spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, uh, we found it fitting to start the episode with one of my favorite songs uh, that was released as a single a couple times before their actual singles CD that came out in the year 2000, uh, Opener. Yeah, and I hadn't even heard this track before uh, Dave had mentioned it to me, so I was excited to hear it. Oh, and, that's uh, right. Yeah, I forgot just, you hadn't heard it. Yeah, yeah, and so I listened to the track and and put wrote down some notes and it took me a couple of listens to find the groove and just feel where the song was going. Uh, it is kind of all over the place because it opens. And now you're the m- more musical of the two of us. I pretend that I know. But are those 30 second notes at the top? Uh, are they the guitar intro? 16th? Yeah. So I'm not looking at the music, but it is definitely fast enough to where I'd say, yeah, it's probably 30 second notes. But it, it, like, I'm not looking at the music. Because the, 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 I don't know what the actual BPM is, but when the verse hits, it's so slow compared to how that intro sounds. It's very like, um, it's like an octave with like a dissonant, uh, I'm going to say seventh and not know what I'm talking about, but I can explain it to you. Uh, <laughs> if you play an octave chord, you would put your middle finger on like the uh, up one over one string, whatever right. that means. Yeah, so you mute that center <laughs> string and you just play that, <laughs> the, yeah. both, both, uh, both root notes, basically. Right. Uh, I well is, is that uh, my is my is well, my music that, terminology so yeah, coming index, back? Index finger pinky on like a C and a C, but then you would hit the uh, G sharp on the E string. If that makes sense. Well, I mean, like, yeah, it does make sense. What, but what, it what is, is that chord? Because that's the chord. <laughs> that's the although c- I think it's a I think it's an E. I think it's an E E and then uh, whatever the the eighth fret on the E string is. Are you looking at music? for it no no i just know how to play it <laughs> oh, okay i haven't even tried playing it so i don't even know but yeah, yeah so, i'd say uh, they're they're probably 30 on the second a notes. string yeah on the a string it's the seventh fret on the g string it's the ninth fret and then on the e string it's the eighth fret the low e so whatever chord that is they're playing it and it sounds fucking cool and it's really fast <laughs> Well, let's do some. Let's start this pot off right, and and uh, and start with some math, right? So yeah, <laughs> it's definitely. It might actually be sixteenths. So it's it's it sounds like it's four notes per beat. So that's sixteen notes per measure, right? Four, 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 four. Yeah. So there we go. So there well, we figured it out. I don't think it's as fast as thirty second notes, but it is damn fast. Yeah. Yeah. So that is an. Intense I remember it was intro. like one of the first like fast things I ever learned to play on guitar where I was like, whoa, this is hard to keep up with. Yeah. You start to lose, you start to lose the, uh, the tempo, the beat. You just, you're just yeah. kind of, uh, slashing at the, the guitar for so long. Yeah. So this is another one. I didn't know what to expect with, with who was singing it. I didn't know that, that Tom was actually going to oh, be singing yeah, this we're one. We're starting the show with a Tom song. Yeah. Yeah. Hey man. And isn't that how they started the band? So rightly so. Yeah. Right. We're probably either uh, letting a lot of people down right now or getting a lot of like <laughs> hardcore fans, like really interested, you know, like, like starting with a Tom song. Yeah. There's a no Tom way deep cut. 
We're gonna make <laughs> we're gonna make so many people happy and then so many people sad. It's just it's impossible to please everybody. Yeah. There's just they've got that that polarization that what's unavoidable. Yeah. And I think we mentioned it in the preview episode, but I mean, like we're relatively big fans. We're gonna end the show with sweetness in the middle. Don't you worry. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And by then we'll have we'll have all these little uh, these little intricacies all all tweaked. Yeah, for sure. Right. Okay. So this was the first track. It's actually the first track on two albums then. So it was on the singles album. Well, the singles album, but the singles album was like a compilation of all of the vinyl seven inch singles and splits that they did. So this was on a split, not a split, sorry, uh, but an A side B side single with 77 satellites, um, which is another great song. That'll probably be episode 77, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think that's fitting. Um, and that was on the singles and Static Prevails. Um, so 77 Satellites made it onto a proper album release, whereas Opener, uh, now here's a full disclosure, and this the show will be full of this, until we get all our liner notes scanned in, my, op- my singles CDs, I have both versions, um, are both in storage right now. But I believe in the liner notes of this, Jim or Tom write about how this, the origins of this song were that they used to open their shows with like this loud, brash octave chord, um, kind of like amalgamation of guitars and drums. And then they turned it into a song and wrote words to it. And I think that's why it never properly made it onto a record. I don't know if they really considered this canon or like an actual song. It used to just be like the thing they would play before launching into one of the first, you know, whatever no, they open no their tracks, shows with yeah. in the in the mid nineties. Um, so uh, it's kind of a trip that it morphed into what a song was. Cause I remember being in a band in high school and you used to think like, it would be so cool if we did like, if we came out like an intro and then, uh, and then we start the song. Like then, well, yeah. And then, and then you, and then you, you stop and you hit, let the guitars ring for a couple yeah, of seconds. And then, and then, and then you get so excited. You're like, and then you count to four on the hi hat, and then we'll <laughs> fucking rock out. Um, uh, that's always like the best thing. And that was why the song was called Opener because the lyrics. Let's jump into that if you want. Um, yeah. Really, the, no, they're not singing. Like, there's no chorus that goes Opener. Like, right. there's none of that. <laughs> and and as has has I don't know who does most of the lyrics if it is actually uh, Jim, but has he been open about? Does he put the lyrics down first and then develop the sound? Or now, see, this is why we started the show. I don't know the the most I know about his process was what he talked about. He would do with Invented was that he wrote the song and and still I don't know if he wrote the lyrics before the music or if I do know I don't remember um but he he was inspired by photographs in a book not from real life experience um uh and a lot of people I, somebody had said this recently to me on I think the chorus forums that the damage record is such a breakup record and he wrote a breakup record but he's happily married with oh, kids oh yeah with with a couple you know of kids what I mean? or three kids yeah um, so, you know, it's 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 kind of dumb for anybody to feel that Invented was disingenuine because he didn't write from experience. I, I think it was anyway. So that's the most I know about his process. Yeah, I and don't you know, know. I'm sure that that artists that are trying to evolve also develop different songwriting strategies at different points in their career that to see what develops from that sort of process is, it, you know, do they find that they've they had a better experience overall with the band when they started with 
they all laid down the tracks in the studio, when they all laid down the tracks individually, or, you know, if they did the lyrics first and then developed the song and the chords around that. Yeah. It's interesting to know, though, that this was written afterward, uh, because I was thinking that the way that this was written, sometimes it's tough to form the song around the lyrics. And I was impressed with how this one sort of fit in there. Um, but I guess it makes more sense now that they wrote this afterward. They had the they had the chords. They knew what they were going to be playing. Yeah, I I just don't know if they ever played it live as a song or if they had these opening riffs and grooves that they then laid down in the studio and wrote lyrics to. Um, but if I'm remembering correctly, and we'll just follow up on a later episode with some fact checking um, right. about whether or not this was ever performed live or if it was just something they brashly played at the beginning of a set and then they were like oh let's let's play that opener song and and write lyrics to it. i just don't know however the closest i ever heard personally to them playing this song and i was so excited that was the first time i saw jimmy Eat world at the pop disaster tour in 2000 um and you know how bands uh, w- the curtain is up and bands like when they're plugging in and about to start the show or sound checking and stuff like that um, Tom played the chords for about five seconds just to settle level or whatever. And I was right. like, oh my God, they're going to play opener. And then they didn't play opener at the show. But Man, he, what a did, tease. he did play the chord and the 16th and or 32nd notes <laughs> um, for about five seconds, which was really cool for me. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure the original fans are like thinking the same thing. Oh, dude, no one was there for Jimmy World. <laughs> No, oh, bummer. no, the, the girl I met at the show was there for Jimmy World. But, oh, yeah. Um, this is in 2000? I believe so, yeah. Pop Disaster. Let's see what the date was that was like LA the, date. I guess that was, a, a, that was right when they were coming around. Uh, 99, yeah. 2000 was when they were just getting big. Yeah. Hold on. I may be way wrong. This may be 2002. But that was then the how, first time I said it was. Yeah, I'm sorry. The first time I saw Blink was in 2000. But that was with Bad Religion and Phoenix TX. Pop Disaster <laughs> Tour was 2002. That was the first time I saw uh, Jimmy Eat World, and that date was in March, I thought. No, April 24th, 2002. But for sure, Tom played the chord. But. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you had played it on, on guitar, right? You knew the you knew yeah, the sound. Yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. 2002, I was playing guitar already, yeah. Okay, so looking at this, at the lyrics here, um, I have yeah. I have my analysis of how I feel the song, what what they're saying, and I can be. Are you a lyrics wrong. guy? Like I'll oh, yeah, always I mean, the song. I totally well, look, I remember. I, I we look, were. Uh, go ahead. I, I I look very far into the lyrics, and sometimes you go so far down the wrong path. <laughs> you yeah, you talk to someone else who really opens your eyes, and and you, and you agree with them, and go, yeah, okay, maybe you're all right. Yeah, well, it's a death of the artist thing, right? Well, do you believe in that? Like where like once it's out of the artist's hands, it's up to the interpretation of the listener to or the 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 consumer um, to determine a meaning for it. Yeah, yeah, I believe in that. And that's what that's what we're trying to figure out with. Uh, yeah. I feel like Jim is that way where he doesn't like telling exactly what a song yeah. is about. He wants that to be up to the listener. Right. But if he's asked, I think he's he's told he's got it in the liner notes for some of these songs. But he will mm. explain what what maybe the the motivation or the uh, the antithesis to these songs is. Sure, yeah. So um, so yeah. What do you what do you got for this? Because I I'll listen to a song and and I won't really hear the lyrics until maybe the twentieth time through, like where I'm right. like paying attention to what the song yeah, is. Yeah, because I'm usually sensory like, overload. Yeah, I'm usually like I want to feel what I feel 
and uh how, you know where does the music take me so what are you feeling from the lyrics here so my thought of this 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 song is that there's a there's a young guy that's maybe looking up to somebody else who's telling him to do one thing um says you don't you you told me don't you look at the sun it burns your eyes out maybe that was his dad saying uh you know don't be an idiot but as a teenager you just go out and do those things anyway you've got to learn on your own um and so he's got a buddy that maybe was his partner in crime. And this is this is where I feel the the song sort of uh, spreads out here is now it comes back and this guy's all his life's all screwed up. He made the wrong choices. He's learned from his mistakes, but he's not sure if he can get it all back. Now he looks at his buddy and his buddy actually never followed all that crap and just did his own thing, uh, but was successful with it. And now this guy is trying to uh trying to get his life back on track, but he sees that he should have just not listened to this dude in the first place and, and listened to his dad or something. That was, that Man, is my, <laughs> that is my analysis of this song. And I'm interested to hear, I know you, you don't go too far into the lyrics, but what you think it's all about. Well, now I can't not see that. Um, because yeah, that whole first verse, I disobeyed and see a man who's going nowhere. He fed me this. Yeah. You, you don't, don't got to worry. You're, you're on, on your, your feet, feet, man. You're a young guy. You're going to make it. Yeah. But then this idiot gave him that that information and this guy rolled with it and then got his life screwed up. And now he looks back at the dude and the dude's like, oh, man, I'm I'm surprised you listened to me when I said that I was quite young. What do you make of the line should have made room for others who can't be beat into open sea? So that must be in the version that the newer version, because I can't I didn't hear that in the one that I was listening to. Oh, I just Googled it. But I do know where that's that part comes in the song. Does it come up later then? Uh, So. I should have made room for others who can't be beat into open sea. And that's right before the, like, there's like a little musical break right there. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I have mine. Right before mine what you, out. what sounds like, I guess to me, it's funny how they broke this up. I feel like that's the end of the first verse, but they kind of have it here in the middle of like the second stanza. Like it's weird. <laughs> right. Because I brainstormed and caught up with my friend who's doing fine now. That, to me, is the beginning of the second verse. Um, it's been uplifting to have static sources. They loved the word static back then yeah. in the mid-90s. They were like, oh, this is fucking, this yeah. is edgy. What's more edgy than TV static? I feel like that's like a very <laughs> mid-90s original. aesthetic. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> and then sure. static T-TV. prevailed, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he's he's talking about in the beginning that this guy's. I do him like the story. back and forth that he fed me this and I right. fed him this. I feel like that's super clever. I don't. Right. I never saw it written out like this before, but I think that that shows that they were they were a little more thoughtful here than they were on like their earlier tracks where it was just lyrics. Um, eh, it was like they were doing like a no effects type of deal, <laughs> before, <laughs> you know, on the couple EPs that they had out before um, Static Prevails. But like this shows like kind of a maturity in their songwriting. And I feel like this was very common in like the mid 90s. But I, I think I feel like only in like good bands. <laughs> um, right. Even Blink does did this type of uh, writing lately between like uh, now that Matt Skiba's in the band. I feel like Mark will always have one take and then Skiba's take on the second verse will usually uh, be almost like a play on words on things that Mark had already said, almost like he fed me this and I fed him this. Um, So it's interesting. I just never had noticed that before. Um, Yeah. The part where I really, I get lost though is, is right where he starts and there's no antidote for a petty loaf. (laughs) 
That one I just seems like penny loaf. I always thought it was penny loaf. That like would penny make loafers. I don't even know. Well, I don't even know if that would make more sense. No, because I went way deep and I thought, well, what is a penny loaf and or a penny loaf? Now you got me saying penny loaf. Yeah. So I was looking up petty loaf. And can you guess? Can you guess what comes up when you search for petty loaf? No, I can't. Uh, I, I really hope it's like a meatloaf recipe, but I don't. Well, know. Okay, so meatloaf is involved. It's actually when meatloaf and Tom Petty were on tour. And that oh, was shit. It. Yeah. What year was that? Oh, boy. I don't even know. Whoa. Uh, not, Tom not, well, Petty Tom Petty's meatloaf tour. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, that's a meatloaf legacy tour. I can't. Uh, 1977? No, that's Tom Petty in the Heartbreakers concert map, but it doesn't say meatloaf. Must include meatloaf. There you go. Plus, <laughs> put the plus meatloaf. Yeah. Yeah. So what I ended up finding while you're looking yeah. for that is the only the only instance of Petty and Loaf being in that sequence. So I put them in quotes was in an English to Dutch translation <laughs> dictionary. It's a poor translation. Dude. Of something. Yeah. So and. And this is an interesting thing. If you didn't know this about me, but I'm I'm Dutch and Indonesian, and so oh, I'm wow. supposed to know how to pronounce this word. So this is <laughs> the description of this bread is called a petty loaf baked with uh it says cumin seed, but I'm sure it's cumin seed. They put a dash <laughs> in an odd spot. So petty this, loaf. So you, did you just say that petty loaf is semen? Oh, it may be. This could be. And this may be deep. This may be how deep. And this is an old book. So I don't know if any of the members of the band are, are Dutch, but they may have this. And he was just thumbing through it. But so the name of this loaf is, is Comanchen. Uh, I didn't just sneeze. That's it's speak. Comanchen. Comanchen. Yeah, but it's it's a petty loaf baked with uh, cumin seed. Now so I'm I think. Down. So now uh-huh. let's go a little bit deeper. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> could this be could could they have been having fun with this? And this is such look at this last the last lyric that I'm seeing is nonsense. So what if they just think at this point, you know, this whole song is nonsense. We're just trying to put lyrics to this uh, to this track that that we used to play at the opening. Oh, of no, our shows. they trolled us the whole time. Maybe. Maybe. So could it be like they're pinching a loaf? Right. Oh, so. And have you ever watched? Have you ever watched WWF back when uh, it, before I it was mean, WWE? Uh, no, I only watched it when it was WWF, and that was for like one summer because there was nothing else on. Yeah, I think I was what... like over whatever it was I was watching, and I think it probably came on after Gilligan's Island. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good good sequence. Yeah. So Owen Hart, Owen Hart was known as the Nugget. That was his name. <laughs> and and Shawn Michaels, this is interesting. This is this is this is this is all true. Shawn Michaels and Triple H. He get he. I remember he got up in the in the squared circle there, and he said, "Hey, have you ever flushed the toilet? And there's one nugget left that just never flushes down, <laughs> right?" So going back, maybe <laughs> either oh, they shit. were watching WWE, <laughs> either that, or or one of them's Dutch Indonesian and it had that uh, English to Dutch translation book. That's my that's my uh, justification <laughs> for that line. That's so good. You know what? I also just googled it with. In quotes, maybe they were really early on on SEO and they thought Petty Loaf was going to take off because that is literally one of the only things that comes up when I search for Petty Loaf. Yeah, you know what? Someone, <laughs> there's someone that has marketed for that word and they're seeing this uptick and like four people that have searched for a Petty Loaf in the last 48 hours. And then here's another person. So th- her tweet came in on Google, but when I click her profile, it's private. So mm-hmm. I'm going to give her a follow from the Jamie Pod account here. 
Um, but apparent. Oh, I see. It's her Twitter description. Her tw- so this is Emily Holter. Her uh, Twitter handle is at some days one ninety four. Um, obviously, I'm gonna l- read into this way too much and say this is a play on Blink one eighty two. And they also have a song called No, they don't have a song called Better Days. I'm I think it was a bootleg that was labeled as Blink one eighty two, and it's not. So anyway, I'm gonna say she's a huge Blink one eighty two fan. Emily Holter and her Twitter bio just says Petty Loaf. So obviously this is the biggest um, Jimmy World opener fan and we should totally have her on the pod. Yeah, see what (laughs) see what she see what her input is. Literally her Twitter bio is two words, Petty Loaf. Man, so there's two instances of that. How did I not come across that that result? (laughs) Uh, It's uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, I'm searching for weird things. (laughs) Yeah, well, it got bumped up to the top of my search. But yeah, uh, Emily, Emily Holter. Uh, come on the pod. Um, yeah, she doesn't have a lot of followers. Well, I gave her a request. We'll see if she approves us. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, cool songs. I guess like if you basically look at it, it's like, uh, don't tell me what to do. I'm gonna figure out life by myself. This is all just fun and games. That's sort of what the song's about, right? Yeah, and then that goes along with what they're doing. Why? Why they wrote the song in the first place because they're just out there trying to make music and have some fun. Yeah. So I, I, you know, that may be looking a little too deep into it. I don't, I've never really gone that far um, for, for a couple of lines, but that yeah. was just one that was so <laughs> odd and there's no That's antidote good. for a petty loaf. So maybe the, maybe the bread was poisoned and uh, figuratively of course, but then you've <laughs> yeah. got to think on this, that second level, Dave. It's just, it's deeper. It's deeper than we realize. <laughs> got to read between the lines, yeah. man. Yeah. So, but at the end of this, it seems like everything was cool, man. I don't mean to boast. We can face all this nonsense. Like, he, you know what? I, yeah. I know I'm sort of screwed, but I can take this on. Yeah. So not man, really, I mean, I don't know if that's, if that's even a, that deep of a song. <laughs> yeah. After we come around, it actually kind of sucks. <laughs> Way to go, guys. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a good no, track. No, this song man. rules. Uh, especially because here's what I... So obviously I'm playing the song in my head as we read the lyrics. But after this, and the beginning of the song, I don't know. It doesn't really sound like Jimmy Eat World. I guess it sounds like Static Prevail. Oh, like what Jimmy Eat World would become. Right. However, the musical break after the all this nonsense... There's like some like kind of like breakdowny like guitar uh, bit and then the drums come in. But then it kind of goes into this like shoegazy part at the end with clean guitars and like just the ride cymbal a little bit. And that's where I feel like you get these glimpses of what Jimmy World does end up becoming and how they do craft musically and sonically a a this sounds so lame, like a soundscape of. Uh, emotion like I feel like they're saying more musically in this song than they are obviously lyrically because they tell us at the end (laughs) that the song is nonsense (laughs) um but I love like everything that they're doing musically on it yeah yeah that is so true that little break which is almost a minute long so it's a five minute song but four minutes of this thing is this crushing guitars um and then they've got that one little break where it's just a couple of a couple of uh, yeah, notes. And even uh, that Rick is cr- credited as a uh, the bass player on this, at least on Google. So I'm gonna give it to him. <laughs> um, but the, the, he does like this cool, like everything's so um, intentional during that little bridge, and the the bass comes in, boom, 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 boom. So good. 
Um, I'm a big Rick fan. He well, also yeah. plays with an inverted neck. What's the deal with that? You Wait, ever see you... his ba- his bass? The the G string is the short, and the E is long. Does it? Is it because he's playing? Uh, or am I inverting it in my head? How I... does it? Uh, yeah, no, the G string is usually the longer of the strings, correct? Longer? T- you mean smaller? Yeah. It's smaller gauge. I'm talking longer down the neck. The tuning oh. peg oh, yes. at the head of a bass. Yes. I don't, I'm okay. not looking at my bass right now, but I'm I'm tuning it in, in the air in front of me. Um, the, the G string is the longer of that the strings. Correct. The E yeah. string is the short. Rick has at least a bass that I see him play a lot. Um, where the neck is inverted, what what is the is that an aesthetic choice or is there a reason you would want a longer uh, E string? I think they play I don't a lot think of stuff in any, drop D. So I don't think there's maybe. any reason for that uh, because once it hits the nut there, it that's just it's whatever yeah, it's the length cut is, off, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So there's it's just I think it's just an aesthetic choice. Okay, uh, well it looks cool with his long hair and. His- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's got some silky dreads, man. Well, yeah, not dreads, man. but you know, some some silky uh, locks. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Anyway, so so another um, thing that I was looking at with this, and I'm trying yeah. to create just to see if there's anything because we've already got the spreadsheet. So what's another column in the spreadsheet, right? So I'm starting to do song oh, yeah, song add, structure. Add a column, uh-huh. right? So this one, and I'm trying to see if there's any kind of consistency with what they have. So they've got their little, I've, I've got to have an intro. So they've got the intro. And then it's two verses oh, right, in a row. Yeah. So they've got verse one, verse two. Uh, and then a what I'm considering is a bridge. Right, the the pretty music part, right? Well, no, no, that's the break. So the bridge I have is actually. Oh, um, oh man, what's the, it must what's be the difference the pe- between dude, a bridge it must and be a the break? Petty Loaf, dude. Oh, Petty the, Loaf the bridge. bridge. Yeah, I'd have to listen to it again. Oh, but yeah, I, yeah, no, that makes sense because that part sounds different than the verses. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, it goes down. And there's a harmony in there. They're like yes. singing like this dissonant harmony in there. Right. Yeah. And then they have their little outro. Anecdote. Yeah. So this one isn't isn't the typical song structure of of maybe verse one. No. Chorus, and that's probably verse two chorus. And that's probably because it was started as like a musical intro to the show. Right. By my memory of reading the liner notes back twenty years ago at this point. <laughs> I have confidence. I have confidence yeah, that I, I don't know. I was I was eating up stuff at that time. I was I thought I was discovering you know things that had yet to be uh, discovered. So who knows? Now, do you know? Oh, so yeah, the, I d- yeah, go ahead. Uh, do you know on the cover? So that's the Capitol Records building, right? Oh, okay. Let's pull this up. Let's pull up the album art. Uh, Jimmy World singles. I want a like a high res version of it. Yeah. Good luck finding one. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna host all this stuff so oh i it looks like the fox theater in that's what i I'm thought too say pasadena yeah pasadena right because it ox and i've actually only seen them play the fox theater once i've seen them at the glass house two or three times you um, know and i'm wondering if you and i were at the show at the same time because i took my sister to see them at the fox theater did uh, we were promised jetpacks open for them and blow everybody the fuck away? <laughs> that, because I don't remember. I was there. So I was there for amazing. Jimmy. Oh, dude, we went for Jimmy and this band called We Were Promised Jetpacks opened, and they were amazing. Oh my god, I remember we, them. I I just don't. I don't remember seeing that band play. Maybe it was a different different time. 
uh yeah let's see it would have been after it would have been 2009 2010 i think we saw them for invented there um but man i love this band home i think they're uh, oh they're on uh they were on the same label as the frightened rabbit guys so it's very irish uh, oh um uh but they were like very shoegazy emo like but rocked out man they were great maybe i'm using shoegaze incorrectly but <laughs> i've never heard it before but that sounds magical <laughs> Um, so, uh, let's look at this. So I'm guessing that that's the Fox theater, probably not in, I'll bet that's got it. Wouldn't it make sense if it was someplace in Phoenix? Right. Um, IX, but yeah. Hmm. I can't guarantee that that's the Fox theater in Pomona. I said Pasadena, I think earlier in Pomona, but it sure looks like it. Um, but yes, that is the Capitol records beneath it. Okay, that's there's what I a, thought. And then there's, there's a picture of Steve. what looks like Tom. And then I'm looking at a low res. I need to find a high res. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that Steve Gutenberg in the bottom right holding a oh, r- rubber shark and a martini? Sick. The Goot. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. It's probably pulled off of some of their, some some photos that they had in a shoebox or something. Yeah. And I think it's all outlined. I mean, here's the thing is there's other songs off this record. Then I will have the liner notes at that time. So we can um, we can dissect it further. Um, But to me, it kind of looks like um, I guess it could be Steve Gutenberg. It also looks like Gary Shandling. That's it. Gary Shandling. Yeah, that's who that is. So it looks like Tom Capitol Records, maybe Zach, but maybe Rick. But probably, yeah. And then Gary Shandling. And then Gary Shandling holding a shark <laughs> with a martini in his hand. <laughs> so on on the topic of emo, yes, I do have a question for you. Then, so th- what would you say is the most since Jimmy World is considered? I mean, at this point, even now, I mean, there's the they're considered, of emo. yeah, right. So what is besides them? What is the most emo band that you've listened to? But you have to have listened to the entire album. Uh, oh, interesting. You know, because um, there's a lot of tracks that I've listened to. That so, I mean, of all time or like, um, the one, there's two there's two schools of thought on emo. There's the emo that like my punk band in high school wrote a song called Fuck Emo. But really, it was like, fuck pop punk. Like, it was like, um, like, I don't even think. So I would say the Jimmy world side of emo, which is probably the more true quote unquote true emo is like the sunny day real estate and stuff like bands. I never really got into. Right. Um, so that so, you always hear come up in conversations about emo. And then right. there's like dashboard confessional, which is very emotional. Um, uh, but I don't, and I, and I think it's one of those things where, uh, it's, it's accepted vernacular. So whether or not it's technically emo, uh, and I'm sure this will be something that comes up a lot on the show. I think Jimmy Eat world fills both voids for sure, both musically, stylistically and lyrically and, uh, and vocally. Um, but, uh, the, to answer your question, it's probably, uh, if we're not saying Jimmy World, there's a band called Posture and the Grizzly that reminds me a lot of early Jimmy World and a lot of Boxcar Racer too. Yeah. Um, that uh, that it kind of gives me those same vibes. Uh, and they're a newer band, so I don't know. 
I, I'm not a I'm not a huge emo head, I guess. What about you? Yeah, you know, that was tough. So the one that I actually looked up, I was I was um I was disappointed to find that it's actually not not emo. So I'm way off on what I consider emo. No, so, you're not, man. <laughs> well, so yeah, I had I had a similar situation where I had one or two tracks that were um sort of this girl showed it to me. Sunny Day Real Estate had them, had one. And then I feel like they come up all the time. So you're not wrong in saying yeah. Sunny Day. And then Jet, Jets I don't know to Brazil. That I was ever, and which was it? Jets to Brazil. Jets to Brazil? I don't know them. But I had only heard a couple of tracks of theirs. So the I first see. one that came up, and I, I, I kind of cheated. I looked at a, at a list of emo artists, which is, you know, it goes back to what you were saying. It's so, <laughs> it's so, there's just, gen, it's just general. Um, I picked, <laughs> I picked Story of the Year. Cause I thought that was the first album that I thought, yeah, see, I listened to and I searched them up and I I put in uh, story of the year emo and yeah, to my, to my uh, dissatisfaction, an urban dictionary result comes up <laughs> and the most, the most updated or most upvoted uh, definition was to all you people who think story of the years emo, you are morons. They are rock, not emo. Um, that's funny. And which I get it. Yeah, I, I get they're, I they're more like, rock, but I felt like their lyrics put them. I feel like there was a lot of screaming in like '90s emo. Yeah, yeah, and it um, wasn't. That and it's funny. Sort of I see screaming. American football on here. Also, a band I never really got into. Like I've, I enjoyed the things I put on by them. Never got into them, but I do feel like they always come up in a Godfather's of Emo type of conversation. <laughs> Uh, didn't the guys from Sunny Day Real Estate end up playing with Dashboard Confessional because Chris was such a fan? That I, I don't that's know. A thing. Uh, Sunny Day. I think you remember when Chris did the unplugged uh, thing for MTV. I believe I read somewhere recently um, that uh, the at least one person was from Sunny Day Real Estate. Uh, yes, eventually. So Dashboard is coming up on the Sunny Day Wikipedia. Man. Let's see in what uh, after their yeah. second disbanding Horner again retired to his farm in Washington, eventually working with Chris Caraba on tracks for Dashboard Confessional. Is that the only and that's the only time that so maybe Chris just worked with this guy? Yeah, was, and he was a guitarist. Dan Horner or Honer. I don't know. This guy, does he look but emo genre right up top? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. And now that I'm on his thing, he, oh, he can be heard on the So Impossible EP. <gasps> In what way? The So Impossible EP is my number one top tier dashboard <laughs> song. Because I, I think I was probably two years after I first heard it that I realized it was telling one story. Um, and I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. And then... Uh, I think one Valentine's Day or birthday or something, I recorded the whole, I covered the whole EP for Susie. And then she walked down the aisle to remember to breathe. But that's not what this podcast is about. Anyway, <laughs> emo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because these guys were, yeah. So Jimmy at World was considered, yeah, like you said, the godfathers of emo, right? Well, um, Blink wrote a song called Emo because they thought it sounded like a Jimmy World song. I wonder if the guys consider themselves emo. I, I imagine at this point they're just rock music, general rock musicians, right? Uh, yeah, I think I think they draw a lot of uh, inspiration from the bands that were considered emo at that time. But I remember a girl in high school. Uh, I was I was like, oh, what kind of music do you like? She was like, oh, I really like emo music, and I was like, what is that? And this is before I'd written, or I didn't write Fuck Emo, but uh, before I started the band and we were 
playing fuck emo all the time. Uh, I didn't even know what that was. I was like, what is that? She's like, oh, you know, like Weezer, which is way oh up your gosh. alley. Right. Um, and and I guess like I hear some emo stuff in the in the blue album for sure. And I feel like Pinkerton is way emo. Um, and I feel like <laughs> I always say that Pinkerton sounds like they walked into the studio and then threw their instruments on the ground <laughs> and then hit record and then like walked out and we're like, we did it. <laughs> That's pretty much how that album was put together. I mean, I understand there's the story. There's that the story of of how Rivers was living in Van Nuys yeah. and he had barricaded himself in the I think it was in a part an apartment and closed all the windows off and he had to write this this album or um and it it was that the, are you talking about the podcast episode um with David Callison um uh, sound in the story yeah 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 and it and it's like Madame Butterfly or something is the it's like yeah. A rock well, version he also, of Madame Butterfly. What what was more realistic, and I know we're getting off track here, but was that I think Rivers had even mentioned this that at the time I didn't know this about them. I had a buddy Ken Powers point this out to me that he <laughs> uh, he talks about well, there's one song where he talks about um, his hip and that he's walking with the uh, the limp or the, or the crutch, uh-huh. and it was because one of his legs was longer than the other. So they he went huh. in for surgery to get that adjusted. And he had to wear this brace around oh, his wait, hip. Oh wait, yeah, this sounds super familiar. Right, right, right. And then he was in he was in the hospital, and oh. one of and he wanted to write a few different songs. He had a lot of time to think about it. So I think that was more what drove a lot of the songs on Pinkerton than the story of him actually being, uh, you know, secluded on his own writing yeah. this stuff. Well, so now I gotta ask: Did he go shorter or longer? He went. I think he goes shorter. I don't think. I don't think you can. That extend, makes sense, right? right? They would yeah. shave off bone. Yeah. I mean, well, then I again, no Remember doctor. that South Park episode where Kyle, like, I feel like Kyle got leg implants or something so he could play <laughs> basketball. You're um, right. You're right. So uh, maybe it can but, be done. Oh, that's interesting. That's actually very similar to the story with Tom DeLong and Boxcar Racer. Is Tom wanted, Tom was on Painkiller. He had a herniated disc. If you remember Tom in the early 2000s, like, leaning way over and yeah. playing his guitar all super low. So he ended up, like, throwing his back out all the time and had uh, to get this herniated disc operated on. And uh, in that time, he's like, that's when he got addicted to painkillers and he'd written all of these what had started out as like dashboard confessional style, like acoustic things, and then became like what he says, like Fugazi quicksand, like uh, uh, like like kind of emo punk rock type of songs. And that's what became Boxcar Racer. And then if you notice after that, he stopped playing his guitar solo. So what else did we find out about this song? We know that it appeared on two albums, which I can't believe we're an hour into the show and only just talking about. Um, no, no, I mentioned that. Oh, did we yeah. mention? Oh, okay. Yeah, I good. mentioned it was two. It was two track one but placements. I guess. I guess. Yeah. Not uh, what 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 uh what I did glaze over was that they were two different recordings. The the earlier version and we don't own it. I should probably just let me see if it's. I'll bet it's cheap on Discogs. I'm gonna buy it. There you go. Um, the That's Emo Diaries film. Volume One because I want to look at the uh, the album uh, notes. All right. Wow. Chapter one. They open the entire thing. Oh, Jay June's on here and Jay June. They reference all the time, but I don't see them on the track list. They're just in the liner. Oh, here they are. Yeah, they have some Jay June thing. I feel like Jim is always talking about that band. About which band? This band called Jay June. I've never heard them. Jay June, huh? J-E-J-U-N-E. Jay June. Oh, oh. Maybe it's like a hardcore band. Jay June. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they start all their songs. Yeah. Jay June. (laughs) <laughs> June's no, oh, that's just a song by Bright Eyes. Oh, this is very shoegazy. I dig it. 
Whoa, the album art on this. Uh, is it all caps? Deep, uh, no, capital J's. J-E-J-U-N-E. Are there five artists? Uh, <laughs> or five wow. members? I'm I have to, no clue. I'm trying to find them. Hiale is the name of this. I'm going to copy this artwork and put it in my iTunes because the iTunes artwork I have for Emo Diaries is terrible. Is it the blue the blue cover? Yeah. It's amazing. I was looking through this. I think there's 12 of those. Whoa. Yeah, I That's kept not... going. So Emo Diaries, <laughs> there were, yeah, chapter, I think it went up to, or maybe it was 10. This is very Chris Caraba-y. I dig it. <laughs> All right. How do I remove this artwork? There we go. And now I'm going to take this artwork and put it in here. Yeah, it looks like, uh, uh, well, shoot. All right. I've had enough of Jesus. You know what that sounds like? Is that a woman? Was that a woman? Uh, I don't know. Because it sounds like Flyleaf. Flyleaf? Yeah. That's like a soundtrack band. That's like a band that was probably on like a, the I Know What You Did Last Summer soundtrack. Yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Of which I'm a big fan. <laughs> That's a good album. Do you, do you remember I Know What You Did Last Summer? The movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, remember the uh, the movie opens with this amazing cover of Summer Breeze by Typo Negative? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, that's so good. I probably saw that movie in theaters more than any other movie. I mean, for sure in 97, but um, I was, like, already a huge Scream fan and <laughs> Wes Craven. Uh, uh, not Wes Craven, but, um, oh, shit. Uh, and now I'm showing my fake fandom. Uh, what the hell is the – Kevin <laughs> no, Williamson, look- <laughs> he wrote it, and uh, – you know, the cast, it had uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Felipe. Right. Well, Ryan Felipe, I think that was the first thing I had ever seen him in. And then Jennifer Love Hewitt, I was obviously in love with. I think everybody was. Yeah. She never really changed. Um, no, although I never watched her on Ghost. Yeah, What's a, the Ghost Whisperer. Ghost, Ghost Whisperer. You don't but watch I hear Lifetime, that. man? Is, no, it was on USA, wasn't it? Was it? Is that, oh, well, it's found yeah, a give her more credit than that. <laughs> give her some more credit than that. <laughs> right. Well, that's where it lives now. Yeah, I know. Uh, um, but uh, my buddy said that she she looked her best. She peaked in Ghost Whisperer, but mm. I I didn't watch Ghost Whisperer. Um, I thought she peaked in Can't Hardly Wait. That's one of my favorites. I think she was still growing at that point. She was still trying to find yeah find her look and find that character. She just seemed oh, too probably. young too, too young to me in that film. Oh uh, well, I mean, I was younger than her when that came out, so like that was uh. I mean, I'm also still younger than her, believe it or not. So. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> and I don't recognize any of these other bands on here. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Maybe I, I'm disconnected, but I looked at every other artist on there, I guess, save for Jay June. None of them seem like any other band that I've heard, even in in, in passing. No, but you remember like uh, when I was starting to discover music and I was like, oh, Hot Topic has these CDs at the counter and they're only like $2. I'm going to buy one. And something was called like emo something. And I listened to it and it was terrible. Fucking terrible. Um, I couldn't get into anything. And then I think one was called Hardcore. And I was like, that was when I realized <laughs> I didn't like Hardcore. And it was like, <laughs> I don't know what was on it now. It was probably like Madball and H2O and stuff. And like other than Guilty by Association, I'm not really into it. <laughs> Um, but, uh, there's a, there's a band track three on the emo diaries called race car riot, which is kind of like box car racer kind of really, but, (laughs) but you know, there's only five bands on here. If you look at the wiki that have links that go over to an artist page. Oh my God. I imagine that, that the other (laughs) seven, (laughs) 
So actually, so on Discogs on the Emo Diaries, it also says Mark Trombino did this version. So it's just the two versions sound different. Um, I prefer the version that was on singles, but probably because I was more familiar with that version than the Emo Diaries version, which just sounds a little more lo-fi. Um, but according to this, maybe I don't need to buy it unless, let's see. Oh, from $3? Uh, yeah, okay, so most of these were unsigned bands. So they had not, ah, I see, they were I see. just trying to make it. They were piggybacking off of a couple of these other artists on that album anyway. Sure. Well, it's saying that Mark Trombino did this Emo Diaries version as well. Uh, and this was released in September of 97. Uh, so I just don't know, and I'll have to look at the liner notes. Did they re-record some songs for the singles album? And when would they have done that? We'll have to explore that later on the show. I'm looking at the performer names on Discogs. I need to be on Discogs. You got some information on there. Yeah. There's there's like all these tangential names. So there's somebody named um, John Mayer, M-A-J-E-R. They play <laughs> that was in the band Lazy Kane. Lazy Kane. Are you sure it's uh, a YJ? It's not John Major. Oh, maybe it's Major. It's M A J E R, and I'm giving it a soft J, like right. yogging. Right. <laughs> um. Oh wait, here's Aaron Rubin is in Sam. I am now. Is that Aaron Rubin again? The, the Rick I Rubin. Uh, no. So in the the drummer of Nine Inch Nails is named Alon Rubin. He also plays drums in Angels and Airwaves. Of course, I would know this. His brother's name is Aaron Rubin, but I don't. I see him. He's on a bunch of Lookout Records stuff um, as vocals for the Mr. T experience. Interesting. And he was also in this band, Sam I Am. Now, I'm interested. I'm going to keep scrubbing down here. Is this the same Aaron Rubin? He's worked on a lot of stuff, but it uh, lost profits. He managed Lost Profits. Yep, this is the same Aaron Rubin. Look at that. On the Emo Diaries Volume 1, the band Sam I Am right. features Aaron Rubin of producing Angels and Airways fame, whose brother, Alon Rubin, plays in Nine Inch Nails and Angels and Airways. How crazy is that? You are probably so bored by those facts. No, but- you know what? My mouth, I'm sorry, I had to close my mouth. It was it was so agape. Agape. From- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but then there's other fun names on here. There's like, uh, Joe Guevara. So like Che's cousin Oh, and Ron Schneider, not quite Rob Schneider. Oh yeah. Budget, budget Rob. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, I feel like there was a Chris Colbert recorded the band Pave the Rocket. I'm sure, you know, Stephen Colbert has 15 brothers and sisters. Maybe he (laughs) was related, man. Who knows? So you know what? This Emo Diaries album, Volume 1, had some pretty heavy hitters. <laughs> yeah, and I went through With- I, I went through the other installments of it, and there's there's noticeably one to two <laughs> bands on each one of these albums that actually made a, a lasting impact. I mean, they could be similar to, to I Cameron. I mean, are there any, Lamb. like, who, who, who's the biggest name that you've seen on these other titles? Oh, boy, it was, it was later. It was around the two, early 2000s. That I started to see. Let me just quickly uh, click through. I do like how uh, uniform they made their album art. Yeah, this just is different colors. Pleasant to look at. Yeah, and then different the iconography down at the bottom. I think it was toward the end of. Let's see, I'm still not finding any. I'm in 2004. On already. chapter four, there's a bit. Oh, further scenes forever is on here. Yeah, they were on there. Um, but there's also Keystone Sinatra. Oh, the movie life is on here. 
And this this song, so here's another connection. I saw the movie Life open for Boxcar Racer at the Whiskey in 2002, and Tim Armstrong played with Boxcar Racer that night. And there's a band called Flux Capacitor. I think I might have to buy volume four. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, you're way back there. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so, yeah, man. it goes into this sort of this this ebb of just no bands. And then toward the end, there might be a couple. But this seems to be one of the better ones besides the first one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not seeing anybody on some of these other ones. And I'm not having as much fun looking at the personalities that are working on these things. Aaron Rubin was on Emo Diaries Volume 1 with his band Sam I Am. That's a trip to me. Um, I'm not seeing any other. So, yeah, obviously. So if you're going to buy the Emo Diaries, definitely stick with Chapters 1 and 4. Other than that, I think you're good. Yeah, there's really <laughs> nothing else going on. Um, So what else did we find? Oh, I do have this. I'm going to save this link here that I'll send to you. But it's about I Googled Jim Atkins writing process. And I came up with something, um, but it may not be. Oh, so here's the thing. Before we get to covers, um, I was like, this is not uh, this is obviously a deep cut. It's a Tom song. No one knows Jimmy Eat World because of this song. At least that's that's on the Internet in any capacity. So I started looking up other random Jimmy Eat World stuff. And I found this guy on Bandcamp while looking for covers that has a song. Uh, this guy's name is Bluefields. Well, it's from Bluefields by the Boredom Corporation. So I'm assuming this guy just does music at home when he's bored. Um, But he has a song here called Every Jimmy Eat World Song. And I'll copy and paste you this link real quick. And I'll play it a little bit right here. Apparently he thinks every Jimmy Eat World song sounds like this. Well, that drum beat is very Jimmy. Yeah. It's funny, I'm looking at the back of his album for this. Oh, interesting. He actually did a cover of the 1975 Somebody Else, which is a jam for sure. And actually, Sun and our classmate Brandon Bonfiglio produced the music video for man, Somebody Else. Look at all these connections that we're making. Yeah, man. There's also a song on here called uh, Coming Home, right after a song called Newfound. So I'm like, is this guy like a huge Newfound Glory fan too? And he also has a song called Go, which is also a Blink-182 song. And then his album starts with Last Resort, which I'm assuming has to be a cover. It has to be a Papa Roach. (laughs) So why would he label some things as covers and other things that are very much nods to these other things? So anyway, written and produced by the Boredom Corporation. Yeah, check it out. This is interesting. Although you know that, oh, this is from 2018. So, hey man, we started right at the right time. We found this guy. So Brock Glazier is the person that mixed this, but is probably 100% also the artist. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's that's a safe assumption. I don't know. This song's kind of a jam right now. Anyway... Oh, yeah, here it is. It's one person. Brock Glazier is the Boredom Corporation, right here on his Bandcamp page. He's yeah. not trying to hide nothing. He's not trying to pull the wool over our eyes. And actually, his album cover looks like wool, although it also could be like maybe a football field or something. All right, so check this out. Go yeah. up. So he's out of Boise, Idaho, right? Click on the yeah. image. Click on the image of him. Oh, 
what what is on the cover right behind him of that hiding that gas that gas meter wait wait okay I'm looking at his image deep elm that's west oh. elm mm. west I don't know elm. man there could be some kind of <laughs> deep elm oh shit yeah man He's west of Elm. He's not quite so deep. <laughs> he's he's deep Elm adjacent. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so you did come across the cover, the one cover of this of this. I song, did. Which By was also on stops. SoundCloud, right? Yes. The it pit is. stops. So, let so me look that. Jimmy the the pit stops cover Jimmy Eat World opener. We covered this as a bit of a laugh for a BBC One radio competition. Despite it being one of the most well-known addresses in the UK, our CD never made it to them and was returned to us, probably for the best. But David Lee Louthman says, nicely done. Yeah, and this was actually really good. It sounded great. It sounded well-mixed. Let's hear it. Hit, hit play on that bitch. Or will I be able to hear it if you hit play? No. So you hit the play. <laughs> Tight. I'll hit it. Like, yeah, pop punk. Yeah. Let's see what they do with the musical break. Oh, this is tight. I want to go skateboarding. Yeah, right? Play some Tony Hawk. Yeah. Is there a fade out at the It must be. They don't do the break then. No. Oh, it's just a big long ring out. Oh, with some feedback. That's nice. That's how you know they recorded with amps, baby. <laughs> I don't know. That sounded pretty cool. Yeah, it was really well done. I mean, it was a different sound. Are they on Unit 24 Records? Yeah, so oh, I went there I too. And... Stuff. Hold on, I don't love them that much. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's just a bunch of different artists, but the pit stops have other songs. Yes, oh, yeah, they, have they a whole do. Record on here. Yeah, well, look at this. If you go to their, so if you go to the Unit Twenty Four page, yes. which was last updated in twenty twelve, you can click on yes. the pit stops, and it takes you over to their MySpace. Sick. Yes. <laughs> oh man, so this record from is from two thousand one. So yeah, they've been around for a while, man. Art is now living... Oh, after four years of drunken rock and roll shenanigans, the band broke up in 2003. Ant is now living in Stockholm, Sweden, still living the rock and roll thing. Oh, doing the rock and roll thing. Kurt, K-I-R-T, also lead singer of Tribal Infinity, is a professional tribal belly dancer and still dabbles with music. Doug, drummer of Tribal Infinity, continues to produce records for Unit 24. Oh, so Doug is Unit 24, probably. <laughs> Right, Mark Doug. B is a stand-up comedian and a member of steampunk band Men Who Will Not Be Blamed for Nothing. Oh, no. Men Who Will Not Be Blamed for Nothing? That sounds a little alt for me. <laughs> uh, it sounds a little proud for me. Uh, why does the name have two T's? It is Pit Stops, P-I-T-T-S-T-O-P-S. Uh, because we could never compete with the word Pit Stop in a search engine. Oh my god. So gosh. they were just SEO. That's tight. Jeez. It's <laughs> an interesting choice. <laughs> well, it didn't do much. 
Well, what are your final thoughts? <laughs> do we do final thoughts? Is that yeah, a complete yeah, let's do final thoughts. Ripoff? Yeah, this is. Um, is that what they? Oh, is that what they do? I haven't. Yeah. I haven't. Oh, okay. I just listen to the. Uh, I go. I go. I jump over to the interviews. Yeah, eighty-five percent of the time they do final thoughts. Oh, okay. Um, well, is there another so yeah, term? You... Is there another term we can use that we don't rip them off blatantly? <laughs> <laughs> well, we are under the umbrella of uh, Blink One Fifty Five, I think. Yeah, uh, we are. We are one of the um, the <laughs> franchises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we pay a licensing fee. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, uh, I'm interested in what your final thoughts are, mostly because you were unfamiliar with it until I was like, "You have to." Do- we're opening with this song. Yeah. Okay. So, what do I think? My my final thoughts on this. It's 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 a little skewed just because I know now that the lyrics were written after the song. It actually would have been cooler if it was all music but then you wouldn't have been able to hear tom or, or understand what type of music jimmy world puts together imagine um, we open the show with an instrumental track <laughs> all right i almost wanted to i almost wanted to open with that untitled track from the singles album because that's yeah. a top five for sure yeah how are we oh, gonna man, do that, that one so good <laughs> so petty loaf saves it for me in this one it's yeah man the uh the lyrics i don't know if if i'm really getting what they're saying but it's like you said, with with the whole I think it's um, angsty teen lyrics, yeah. man, <laughs> and they and the, the delivery with the with the colons in there, I don't know. That adds it a little. That puts it a, a step above as far as lyricism goes. Yeah. So I don't know. This is just. Uh, I really liked the song. It's definitely. Uh, it's it's definitely in the Jimmy World sound category as far as what what they've come to be as a band. Yeah. This song totally follows that. And you can see that they've used that as as just a little bit of a foundation for what they how they write their songs. So I, I really enjoyed this one. Good man. Um, yeah, this one I've loved for so long. Uh, it was uh, it's I think it's is a top ten Jimmy World song for me. Um, and uh, it uh, it's funny now that we've dissected the lyrics, which I've absolutely never done with this song. Uh, I think it probably takes a little bit of a step back. <laughs> Um, but musically it's just such a rad song and I think Tom sounds really good on it. Um, and, uh, yeah, Petty Loaf, man. Yeah, man. And this was a, this was a great opener for the, for the whole podcast and, and, uh, introduction to, to Jimmy. Yeah, for sure. So I don't know. Yeah. People find us on socials. We're Jimmy pod everywhere pretty much. Um, so until next time I'm David and I'm Justin be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes!